Hello again and welcome to the program. You're tuned to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. When it comes to spiritual warfare, our greatest weapon is not even prayer. Our greatest weapon is the truth. If we look back through history, it's amazing how dramatically different our world has become. So many changes we've witnessed. If you were to ask some of the great influences of Western civilization, they will tell you that to action change in society, you need to change the way people think. So what happens when those with a destructive agenda start to manipulate the way people think? How do we protect ourselves? Dr. Corbett has been exploring the Apostle Paul's epistles to the Corinthians and this week looks particularly at how false teachers were having a destructive influence. The parallels to our current social climate are frightening. Tonight, the mind, your battle. Let's join Dr. Corbett now. We are now nearing the end of our series through Paul's epistles to the Corinthians and we've got two more messages to go. This is the last one, in, or the second last one in the series. And we're going to be dealing with Paul, concluding what he has to say to the Corinthians by comparing himself to the false teachers, the people that he's going to call initially super apostles. And he's going to be, again, I've I've pointed out how Paul was often sarcastic in his dealings with these teachers, these false teachers. And then he's going to call them false apostles, just straight up false apostles. And then in a very subtle reference in his list of sufferings that he went through, he's actually going to refer to them as false brothers. So they're not even apostles. They're not certainly not super apostles. They're not even brothers in Christ. And so this is Paul signing off more or less to the Corinthians. And then the final message in this series is going to be what I consider to be the greatest chapter of christian doctrine in the entire bible and and that is where paul is going to make the case that if this doctrine is not true then all of christianity fails it's just not it cannot be true that that's his point so as we look at this and initially paul is going to take an interesting strategy in making this case And he's going to be using warfare language. We would refer to that as spiritual warfare. And for many people who have heard some kind of teaching on spiritual warfare, they've been introduced to something that is quite mystical. It's perhaps involving angels and demons. It involves invoking this and speaking and declaring and all sorts of things. And it often is described as taking place in the heavenly realms but that's not what paul's going to be using he's not going to be using that kind of language he's not going to be describing it in that way paul is actually going to be describing spiritual warfare taking place in in a way that today i rarely ever hear so i hope you'll give your attention to what we're going to see here in second corinthians chapter 10 so let's pray father open our hearts Open our ears. Help us to see what you have put in your word for our good, for our benefit. Help me not to twist the scriptures. Help me not to make them say something that I want them to say. But Lord, guide me. Open my mouth to declare the truth of your word in a way that it will be confirmed by the Holy Spirit in the hearts of everyone who listens now. 
In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. So we open up in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 1. I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away. Now, that is sarcasm. This is what the accusers, his his opponents were saying, oh yeah, when he writes, he's really apostolic, he's really strong. He's, he speaks quite boldly to us when he's away. But when he turns up, oh, he's just a timid little lamb. He doesn't confront people. He doesn't do anything like that. And we've already seen that that was certainly not the case. But he's picking up on this and he's just being, he is being sarcastic because the, these were the claims of the false teachers. So I, I, I will stop through throughout this section and just say now he says this but it's sarcasm just so so you're aware of it verse 2 i beg of you that when i am present i may not have to show boldness with such confidence as i count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh so who's the sum obviously the false teachers paul is saying here you think i'm meek when I'm with you, some of you may discover that is not the truth. And oh boy. So <laughs> anyway, uh, Paul goes on. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. So he's not going to get down in the gutter and fight back the way these false teachers were going to uh, have been fighting. In fact, before we have a look at this next really important Point. In fact, one of the central things Paul says in this chapter, we need to understand this. When it comes to spiritual warfare, our greatest weapon is not even prayer. Our greatest weapon is not even what some call the ability to declare. Our greatest weapon is the truth. The truth is is our greatest weapon when it comes to spiritual warfare. And let's see why. We read in verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. I hope you can see straight away, just by reading the text, we can see Paul is saying the realm of spiritual warfare is in your mind. The mind is the realm of spiritual warfare. And why is that? Paul says it's where the false arguments, the false ideas, the false opinions, things that are contrary to the truth, it's, it's in the mind where those things get a hold of someone and distort our vision of the truth and our vision of reality. You see, the truth, Paul is about to say, will lead you into a deeper walk with Christ. The truth will lead you to behave in a certain way. What was that way? Paul says in closing this paragraph, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So what does real spiritual warfare result in? 
It results in the truth shaping our behavior to obey Christ. You see, this requires that every believer understands how to distinguish truth from error. How to distinguish not just truth from error, but as the great preacher C.H. Spurgeon, known as the Prince of Preachers, once said, real discernment is when you are able to distinguish between what is true and what is nearly true. And that's what we as believers have to do. We have to be able to distinguish what is nearly true so that when we hear it, we become, we, we become disturbed. We think, hang on, that's, that's not quite right. And we also have the truth inform us as to why it's not right. Discernment is based on our knowledge of the truth. If you want to put on your spiritual armory, then you will be someone who becomes more and more acquainted with the truth. I'm told that in the old days, I'm not sure when the old days were, but in the old days, banks used to train bank tellers to be able to spot a forgery, a, a fake banknote, a fake $10 note, a fake $5 note, a fake $20 note, a $50 note or a $100 note. And the way they did it wasn't just by looking at it, but by feeling it. So that when they were you know, counting a bundle of money, you know, flicking it through, they would be able to feel, oh, that didn't quite feel right. In the same sense, it's not by feeling an argument or feeling an idea or feeling someone's opinion about something. It's by hearing it. And in the same way that you, a bank teller might be trained to feel for a fake or a forged $20 note, we should be trained in one sense to hear a forgery, a falsehood. Paul goes on in verse 7 and he says this, Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ's, let him remind himself, there we go, remind himself, this is again in the area of the mind, that just as he is Christ's, so also are we. You see, Paul is saying, just remind yourself, I was with you, Timothy, we were with you for 18 months, walking among you, working among you, serving you, teaching you. You got to observe our lives. You know who we are. Just, can I remind you of that? These false teachers are fleecing you. They are manipulating you. They are treating you like cash cows. They are taking advantage sexually of vulnerable women we never did anything like that we want to remind you of the difference this is the difference so what's Paul doing he's actually pointing to the truth not just the truth of God's word but the truth the truth that says this is how we lived we lived according to what we preached verse 8 for even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, unlike the false teachers you can hear in the background, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. For they say, that is his opponents, 
His letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily appearance, his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. But we, we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. See, Paul's going to say, you, you should... We, how can you say we believe these people that we're false? We were the ones who first preached to you. We were the ones who brought you to Christ. We were the ones who taught you the truth about who Jesus was and how he wants us to live. He goes on. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For... We were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labours of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases. Now, Paul is saying, you know, that look, we, we need to partner together, you, with us, the Corinthian church, with us, so that you can partner with us just like the other churches do, so that we can go into other areas where the gospel has never been preached and bring more people to Christ. Now that's a completely different motive than the false teachers had. So, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you, without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Paul was very, very aware that the day would come when he would stand before the Lord and be judged and give an account of his apostolic ministry. And it sounds like he's reminding or even causing these people who claim to be apostles a real stiff warning here that they are in jeopardy of being judged by the Lord on that day. Now, just to reinforce that Paul is saying that this warfare, this spiritual warfare takes place not in the outside heavenly realms, but uh, more so in every human heart, in every human mind. Verse 11, sorry, chapter 11, verse 1. I wish you would bear with me a little foolishness, in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning. Now think about this. If there was ever a spiritual warfare description, it has to be, when the enemy of our souls, who's later described and Paul would call Satan, came to, to the woman in the garden and deceived her. So what's going on? 
a thought, a wrong thought, an untrue thought, is being sown into her mind. And the result was sin and mankind falling from innocence. So we read this. As the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if anyone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaim. Now notice this. Paul's saying these false teachers were proclaiming another Jesus. Not the true Jesus, another Jesus. And can we just point out, this is exactly what the cults do. They present Jesus as maybe a created being. That's not the truth. They present Jesus as just a good man who got enlightened. That's not the truth. They present Jesus as a great teacher who was misunderstood and killed because he was misunderstood. That's not the truth. That is not what the scripture says. And Paul says, these, these people, these false teachers, they preach another Jesus to you. We go on. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, so Paul talking about the Holy Spirit, or a different spirit, perhaps being a demonic spirit, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you, re- you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. And the point there being is you shouldn't. Churches need to be aware that, that they should not allow anyone and everyone into their pulpits, into that place, that part of the church service where someone preaches and instructs the church. The pulpit is meant for the proclamation of the truth so that people are brought to obedience to Christ and formed into his image and likeness. That's what preaching is supposed to be doing. And that's what I hope we're going to be doing right now as we go through God's word. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Hmm. Again, that's sarcasm, of course. Paul is picking up that these false teachers described themselves as super apostles. Even if I'm unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we've made this plain to you in all things. So Paul is, is saying that these false teachers, they sound wonderful. They tell you what you want to hear. They, they sound much like they are much better speakers than me. But I wasn't just speaking to you. I was declaring the truth to you. They might be great speakers, but I know the truth and I shared the truth with you. And Paul is now going to compare himself with these false teachers who seemed to the Corinthians, some of the Corinthians at least, to be, you know, these are the real deal because, well, they're professional. They get paid. So Paul says this, Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I am refrained 
and I will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I did, did not love you. Ha! Huh, God knows I did, Paul says. And what I'm doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants, boy, you hear what Paul has just accused these false teachers of being, also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. I repeat, let no one think me a fool or foolish, but even when you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. Now here's where Paul's going to wrap it up, and he's going to conclude essentially pointing out why he's a genuine apostle. It's really completely counterintuitive because what Paul's about to do, and I've gone through and I've listed in, in the, the margin of my Bible here, 16 proofs of Paul's apostolic authority and his apostolic calling and his apostolic ministry. So let's see if we can pick it up. We read in verse 23, Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors now here, here we go paul is saying this is the proof of his apostolic ministry and authority far greater labors far more imprisonments with countless beatings often near death five times i received at the hands of the jews the 40 lashes less one three times i was beaten with rods oh my goodness once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night uh, and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeyings, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? asks Paul. And I am not weak. Who is made to fall? And I am not indignant. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. And it sounds to me like the false teachers were actually accusing Paul of being weak. And here Paul's saying, weak? 
You've got no idea how weak. Let me tell you how weak I've been. I've been beaten. I've been persecuted. I've been run out of town. I've been thrown overboard ships. I have suffered great hunger. I have suffered great thirst. I've been hated in cities. I've been hated in country regions. I've been out in the wilderness with no, with no shelter at all, all for the sake of taking the gospel to people who've never heard the gospel. And I do all of this gladly. And even, Paul says, even at one point, listen to this, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus he who is blessed forever knows that I am not lying. And here he says, even to this point, verse 32, at Damascus, the governor under King Aratus was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. So Paul is saying, I've been through stuff. If I was a false teacher, I would have run by now. I, I wouldn't endure this, but I have, and you know I have. You've seen the scars on my back. You've seen the scars on my face. You've seen the pockmarks in my leg where the rocks that were thrown at me to kill me made scars that have never gone away. And Paul says, I've done all of this gladly to serve Christ to take the gospel to people who've never heard the gospel but need to hear the gospel. And then Paul wraps it up in the closing chapter. He says this, I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be granted by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body I do not know God knows and I know that this man was caught up into paradise whether in the body or out of the body I don't know God knows and he heard things that cannot be told which man may not utter on behalf of this man I will boast but on my own behalf I will not boast except of my weaknesses Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So, to keep me from boasting and becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of these revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from, beginning, uh, to be, from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So there's Paul's argument as to why he was not like these false teachers and that the Corinthians 
needed to reject what these false teachers were teaching. These Corinthians needed to accept that what Paul was teaching them was of Christ. It represented Christ fairly. It was something that they knew from him. So let's, let's wrap it up. What do we see here in this passage of Corinthians? Firstly, we should see that the enemy seeks to bring confusion and division and mistrust of God's appointed shepherds. That's what's being described in this section. Secondly, there is a spiritual battle for souls that takes place in the world of the mind. It takes place in your mind and therefore what you need is the truth. That's the third thing we should learn. Our greatest spiritual weapon is the truth. And fourthly, this is why we need to do contrary things to what the enemy seeks to do, which means we should seek the truth to be found in God's word. We should be in community and we should pray for our leaders as Paul was seeming to ask the Corinthians to do for him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you help each of us to be truth seekers, that we really should find that truth matters. And I pray, Lord, for those who do not yet know your love, your forgiveness and your offer of salvation. May they in this moment turn to you with a prayer that says, God, please hear me. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. Cleanse me and make me a new person. And I pray, Lord, for everyone who's joined with me now, that you would help them to be shaped into the image and likeness of Christ as a result of this expedition through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to listen again or you've missed a program, you'll find an archive of all previous episodes on our website, findingtruthmatters.org. For tonight's program, select Mind Your Battle from our online store. You can also find the podcast by subscribing to Finding Truth Matters on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. As we've heard tonight, to counter what the enemy tries to do, we need to be informed of the truth of God's word, be engaged with the local community of believers and be committed to pray for truth to be made known. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.